How would a dream, cowboys? Welcome back to the Westworld Fan Podcast. Today we're going to recap and review Season 2, Episode 6, entitled Phase Space. Directed by Tariq Saleh and written by Carly Ray. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So we were talking about this a little bit before, and you told me that actually Carly Rae is not the singer of Call Me Maybe, uh, but someone else entirely. No, that is Carly Rae Jepsen, a Canadian whom, if you really want to take a deep dive into the internet, there is a very long dissertation about how Carly Rae Jepsen's entire career is one long repetitive song and it's actually insane but if you don't want to waste your time on that no (laughs) carly ray is just like a prolific tv writer she's worked on mad men she started off as a story editor at mad men and then she was writer on the leftovers and the bastard executioner and now westworld plus also one of the four people who is currently writing and creating a game of thrones pilot one of which will be picked at the end, whenever one is the best one, and it will be the next Game of Thrones show, and she's in the running with Game of... Uh, she has George R. R. Martin on her side. He's actually helping her. She, he's helping two out of four of the shows, and she's one of them. I don't know what all of that means. All I know is that she could be the next showrunner for the Game of Thrones uh, sequel or spinoff, so that's pretty huge, and she wrote a pretty neat episode. Yeah, so you've got some episodes that are kind of like vignettes, like I would say episode 5 was, and then you've got plot episodes where everything happens, and that was this episode. So they showed, I think, all the storylines this episode, right? Did they miss one? I, I As they were going through storylines, I couldn't help but note, like, it, they just kept coming with every storyline that they have available, which is not normal. They usually take, like, three or four storylines and expound upon them for 60 minutes. But not this time. This time, they had to bring a lot of characters together all at once. And then they had to parallel those characters against every other storyline, apparently. Because we saw everybody doing everything. Yeah, it was like a season finale of Game of Thrones where they go every plotline. Right, except for this is the sixth episode of the second season. And I will remind everyone for if you do watch Game of Thrones and if you don't, by the time we're at the sixth episode in the second season of Game of Thrones, Rob Stark is still alive. Spoilers. Blackwater is about to happen. Joffrey is still there. Like, we are early, early on in Westworld, and I think it's about time we come to the conclusion that this is a, a wonderful show put together by really thoughtful people, and they have up and down episodes, but this show deserves a third season, and it's kind of plateauing out at like 1.5 million on the rating scale. It's not going down that much anymore. It's sort of plateaued. So we're going to get a third season, and I'm so glad, because this show is... Really, really good. Yeah, and it's a fast-moving show, too. It doesn't dick around like a lot of premiere TV does. No, and we saw that in perfect, like, right in front of us when Maeve goes into this amazing Shogun World set, and I don't even know if we're going to be back there this season. We only got two episodes of it for all of that. Granted, it was a lot, and... The it, the the set itself, like let alone the storyline, added value to the show. But it feels like we're not going back to Shogun World for the amount that they spent and and showed us that whole set. It's oh my god that we're moving so fast. We're not. I we're not even. We're in the Mesa now. Everyone's going to the Mesa. So we'll start with the Man in Black plotline because it's the shortest. He and his posse are riding through the prairie. Lars is questioning him as to whether he thinks it's safe to just bring his daughter along on this dangerous mission. The man in black's daughter, Grace, or I guess what's her real name? So it's probably Emily Grace. Like Grace is probably her middle name. We don't exactly right. know, but for now, I we'll noticed keep that they her never Grace. said her name this episode. No, we still haven't heard her name, uh, or at least we still haven't heard anybody call her Emily. But we assume her name is Emily Grace. 
She tells the man in black that she's come here to rescue him, and he doesn't even believe that she's really her. He thinks that this is a Robert Ford sick joke. Which would be, like, the ultimate Robert Ford sick joke. Past using children hosts to just, like, really rag on the man in black while he actively fails. This, making a version of his daughter and sending it after him, would be pretty intense. Seems like a lot of work. And it, it it comes out that she is in fact, or at least we think, we she is in fact Emily Grace. She is in fact his daughter. But at first he was like, okay, really gunning for me here, Ford. And she's like, what in the crap are you talking about, bud? That night, father and daughter share a drink by the fire. They reminisce a bit about coming to the park, but their memories don't actually line up correctly. He thinks she was scared of Elvin. She said she loved them. Yeah, he mixes up his wife and his daughter. His wife was scared of the elephants because, as his daughter says, following that up, she never believed that nobody in this park could hurt her. She was never convinced that this place was safe. While Grace loved the elephants, and it was a part of the reason why she always wanted to go back to the Raj, and it was a part of the reason why when Charlotte Hale invited her to the gala that she didn't end up going to, she went to the Raj for funsies. But at the same time, the internet is thinking that him making that you know incorrect statement to her was like testing her to see if she was a robot, because again, she did call her a robot moments ago. But I also think that he's a bad father, and it stands to reason for him to just forget things the man in black wonders why she is here and she tells him that she feels like she deserves better than for him to just disappear into the park to commit suicide by robot as she puts it and he doesn't want their very last interaction being her blaming him for her mother's death after the funeral yeah she like, apologizes, sort of, kind of. She still blames him for her life being awful, but she feels bad about laying his mother's, or her mother's death, his wife's death, on top of him, which that scene, it was so poignant. It was so fun to watch the man in black be humanized, I feel like, as much as he can be, talking to his daughter as his daughter slightly forgives him, one minute after being like, by the way, Dad, in the Raj, I was banging everybody. Also, I forgive you. <laughs> the man in black agrees to leave with her if it means that he can earn her forgiveness. And they have their tender moment. And then she wakes up the next day and he's totally abandoned her and taken the posse with him. Which, obviously, right? Like, as he's saying these words to her... So... I didn't think he believed himself. I thought he was act just lying to her and he knew he was lying. But when Carly Rae was interviewed about this episode, she said, and I quote, My favorite thing that I wrote for the whole season is the conversation between the man in black and his daughter. When we were first rehearsing it, Ed Harris, who plays the man in black, said his approach to the scene was that in that moment when the man in black tells Emily, she says that her name's Emily, by the way, going is going to go with her, he believes it. He wants to be the guy who goes with her, but then in the middle of the night decides he has been going after one thing for so long and he just can't give that up. But also, like, he now thinks it's his actual daughter and then leaves her in the middle of the park, a, a park in which she is shown to be adept in. But still, she, there was a gunfight yesterday and he's like, I'm going to leave her and, and just keep going. Keep doing me. Father of the year. CEO of the year. The last thing we see of the man in black in this episode, he's riding through the woods with his posse when they're attacked by a bunch of Ghost Nation warriors and they have to make a retreat. The first Ghost Nation attack of the episode was fake. Emily called it out being like, yeah, your your guys are just raiding a honeypot before she pot shots a few of them from like 50 yards making Lars impressed. But now... Without her there, they get attacked again. By, it doesn't look like Ghost Nation, actually, this time. It looks like guys in hats. But yeah, we all, the last thing we see of them, which we see so much of every other storyline, and this was truly like 10 minutes of a solid father-daughter conversation, and then the man in black and Lars get chased away, and we don't know what happens to them after that. 
In Shogun World, Team Maeve is cleaning up after having won their big battle with the Shogun's men. I think we all assumed that would happen. Akane is mourning for Sakura and cuts out Sakura's heart. So in this moment, Maeve has made a decision because Felix and Sylvester could bring Sakura back. Right. They have the ability to take her back, but Maeve has made the decision that Akane wants to do this, right? Like, Akane doesn't want to go with her. Akane doesn't want to fight her battles. She just wants to, you know, bury and remember her daughter in the way that she decides to. So Maeve watches Akane cut Sakura's heart out of her body and understands in that moment that she could change all of this. She's God, but she won't because she wants Akane to live her own life. Back in Edo period Sweetwater, Maeve is ready to rescue the other characters that are being held there with her telepathy, but Musashi would rather settle things with a badass samurai duel against the captain. Okay, like, first off, her leaving all of those people, the rest of Team Maeve, to go and do the battle in the first place was kind of obviously just so those people wouldn't be there to ruin it. Like, if if Hector was there, it would have been different. He would have just shot a bunch of people. So it felt like something that was used as a narrative device just to get those people out of there. So the large Shogun fight where Sakura dies and then Akane murders the Shogun could happen. We're trying to get them back into the party at this point, and it feels like the sword battle obviously didn't have to happen, but it's another moment where Maeve is like, well, this guy wants to battle, you know, Shogun World Hector wants to show this man that he's not a coward and he wants to, he wants to do it his own way, so I'm gonna let him. Good luck, bud. They have a pretty, like, decent sword fight, like, it's not fast either, it's it's a well-paced fight, um... Musashi ends up winning with two-sword style, and the defeated captain goes to commit ritual suicide, and Musashi cuts his head off. But I think you're supposed to give some more time to the person committing suicide. Like, he didn't wait at all. He's like, no, okay, I'm stepping in. Well, he did, okay, the guy who lost did stab himself with, like, with his one hand that he had left, but, like, right as he stabbed himself, he also got his head cut off, so you're right, like, he stabbed himself, and milliseconds later, he was, his head was thrown from his body, so, yeah, not a lot of time in between. Later, they arrive at Sakura's village, which is in view of a Mount Fuji that I guess they've just got in the park. Okay, how big are these parks, Go to Mount Fuji. How big are yeah. these parks? Seriously. You have the entirety of Mount Fuji in Shogun World, and it's one of six parks. These, this is a large island. Right, and it's not even nearby. It's very far away. Like, you feel like it would take a long time to get there. And Lee finally, you know, Lee is the one who is like, this is where we need to go. This is where there's a an access point to actually get out of here. The Team Maeve walks in. And kind of splits off right at the beginning with Lee and Felix and Sylvester going over to where the shoot door is down into the basement and out of Shogun World and and back into Westworld while Akane and Musashi and Maeve go back over to the other side to take care of the heart that Akane is carrying around. The hosts go with Akane to cremate Sakura's heart. Maeve tries, like, one last time to bring her and Musashi with them to join the team, but they both refuse. They're going to stay and fight for Shogun World, but Hanaryu decides that she is going to go with them because I guess now she's in love with Armistice. Right. They're the best of friends. They're going to go punch pumpkins in the garage. They love each other to death, and... And Hanario does not ever want to leave Armistice's side, which makes sense. If I met Armistice and I was a lot like her, I would be like, me and you forever. Me and you forever until we... Ride or die, baby, ride or die. Were you disappointed that Akane and Musashi doesn't go with Maeve? Yeah, well, I think this shows a big difference between Dolores and Maeve, where she's like, Maeve's like, oh, you don't want to come? Well, then I won't force you 
to do anything you don't want to do. Where Dolores is like, oh, Teddy, you don't want to kill people for fun? Okay, well, then I'm going to rewrite your brain so that you do. Right, like, you have to ask, if Dolores had Maeve's powers, what would she have done in all of the situations Maeve was just in? What would she have done to Teddy? Would she have just spoken to Teddy and changed him that way instead of the real awful way that it that it actually ended up happening? With if Dolores had Maeve God powers, what would eat what would that even be? Like you said, Lee finds the underground passage to the labs, they take that and emerge back in Westworld, really close to where Maeve's daughter is. They literally climb out of a grave. Symbolism. Maeve again tells Hector to wait behind because he would just be too useful and that she needs to do this alone. Thank gosh that this time they didn't listen to Maeve at all. Maeve finds her old homestead and it's just the way she remembered it. On the porch she finds her daughter who it's not really clear if she recognizes her or not at first. They have like a tender moment before they get interrupted first by the host who has replaced Maeve as this girl's daughter, and then by Ghost Nation warriors, the same ones that used to kill them back when this was Maeve's loop. Maeve's daughter calls the doll that is the, the a representation of herself Hannah, so her name might be Hannah, and as Maeve hears her mother call her, the look on her face is is so tragic. She had to have known... Right? Like, she had to, Maeve had to know that if her daughter was still there, she just wasn't alone hanging out. She had to have a new mother assigned to her. But even as she heard the new mother's call, it was still incredibly heartbreaking because she knew in that moment that her daughter, the person, or the, the robot that was her daughter, most likely doesn't remember her at all. The Ghost Nation approaches and does something, I think, off screen to the new mother that's probably bad chases Maeve as she takes Hannah I'm going to call her Hannah I don't know if that's her actual name but I'm going to call her Hannah Maeve takes Hannah's hand as they run into the field of wheat that reminds me of Gladiator and Maeve just like stumbles in a weird way because I guess she had to for the Ghost Nation warrior to catch up to her do you know if it was a Akechita I don't know if, if it was it, it might have been either him or, or another high-ranking Ghost Nation warrior, whom then says to her, you know, you should come with us because our paths are the same. Which is odd, because up until that point, even like two episodes, three episodes ago, the Ghost Nation didn't want Maeve. They only wanted Lee. So are they now seeing Maeve as a human being? Maybe her coming back from her daughter made them think like oh there's more to this host than than just you know it's not just rebus walking around but how sentient are the ghost nation like i believe the ghost nation is either helping because they're programmed to or helping because they revere humans as gods and and want to protect them to the best of their ability but even so you know does that guy think maybe he's a human being or is he just like nah just a really cool robot who i like now Hector and the rest swoop in to rescue them, and that's the last we see of Maeve this episode. So Hector goes in shooting, Lee takes out the tablet that he stole, and starts calling for help. He actually feels bad about it, it looks like, because Lee and Maeve have an actual moment when they get out of the grave and back into Westworld, like... Lee, Lee says, like, I'm not, not, not that bad for a person who is me, and Maeve thanks him, at which point he feels like... His face at least conveys that he is he empathizes with Maeve a lot more than he used to. And now, as he's calling for backup, him and Sylvester sitting there being like, yeah, we're, we're done getting arrows shot at us, so we're going to not help. But Lee does feel bad about it as Felix slash like Felix Solo, both Felix and Sylvester are dressed as Han Solo. Not better than Charlotte was dressed as Han Solo, but th- but they are. And Felix runs after Maeve and goes and tries to help. And I was like, Felix, oh my God. He's the friend you want. He's your ride or die forever. In the Dolores storyline, the first scene is a little bit confusing. Dolores and 
Arnold are continuing their convo from a few episodes ago about why he feels like she frightens him. Arnold worries about what will happen when hosts progress past humans. Dolores stops him, taking issue with with what he had just said. He says, Do I have the right to choose what you do next? And Dolores says, No, that's not actually what you said. What you said was, What should I do next? You weren't really concerned with whether or not you had any right to do it. Arnold's confused. He's like, what are we doing? She's saying, we're testing you. We've had this conversation many times before, and we're testing for fidelity. Which is obviously a word that William used over and over again, talking to James Delos about, you know, trying to get James Delos into a correct mindset where they didn't have to burn him over and over again. So, okay, this first scene, like you said, very, very confusing. And the weird part about this is she uses the word fidelity, which I don't think that's actually Dolores talking. I think it's Ford through Dolores. And if Ford knows the word fidelity, I'm not sure why he's either using it there because it's just a word used in that moment and William knows it as well for what they need to make robots conscious one day. But it's just, is it another time in which Ford is is using a word unbeknownst to the man in black to kind of poke at him. Anywho, so I think all of the moments in time where we believed Arnold and Dolores are talking into that basement is actually Bernard and Dolores talking as if they were Arnold and Dolores to see if Bernard had finally become as much as Arnold was. So it was. I think it's Ford testing Bernard to the point where, are you basically Arnold yet? Because if you're not, Dolores is going to stop you. And Dolores is basically Ford through Dolores and sees all motor functions because for fidelity, you're not exactly Arnold just yet. Okay, that's one way. I was thinking maybe they had like resurrected Arnold, but he still isn't quite there yet. Maybe he keeps, keeps, maybe he keeps hitting that cognitive plateau. And they're trying to figure a way, a way to bring him back to life for real so they can use his knowledge for something. Right. And is Arnold a red orb somewhere? Just like we learn another main character is at the end of this episode and like most of the internet called for the entire season. But is so the, uh, the actual question is, is Arnold inside Bernard for real? Like is a consciousness version of whom Arnold was inside Bernard and and Ford was just kind of trying to to find it did Ford ever find it and is it still in there you know in Sweetwater in in I guess the present storyline Dolores is playing the piano in the ruined saloon when Teddy arrives he seems okay he seems well okay is is Okay might be a stretch. And by the way, this is the same exact piano that is played towards the end of the episode by the same uh, teased character I, I that was uh, I talked about moments ago. Teddy says they should get moving and tells her that the old Teddy is dead and now they should all just move on. And Dolores seems a little upset. Before Teddy walks in, he goes and sees that the, the can of milk is on the ground It looks like he's about to pick it up, but then he doesn't. He picks up one bullet and puts it in his pocket. He then goes into the saloon where Dolores is playing the player piano. And you're right. And like you just said, Teddy's like, well, we should probably just try to get on out of here. Do we should do the work because I'm all I'm programmed now to do is is the work. And he gives a little hint of being resentful against Dolores. And Dolores gives a little hint of regret but at the same time she still in this moment believes that this is what had to happen for her plan to actually occur at the train station Dolores is interrogating her human prisoners and they don't seem to have the answers that she's looking for and so Teddy decides that they don't need one of them anymore and just shoots him immediately and again Dolores looks a little bit disturbed When speaking about this moment, the writer of this episode, Carly Rae, said, quote, 
Moving forward, there are some really interesting moments for Teddy where he'll get to decide for himself whether or not he wants Dolores' changes to stand, unquote. Dolores, the moment Teddy shoots that guy, her face immediately changes to, oh, oh no. I guess, I guess that's good, but like good for the plan, but you're not the Teddy of old and I think I might miss Teddy. Later on, Dolores and her team are riding on the train, preparing for battle, cocking their guns and throwing ammo around their shoulders. Doing real cool battle stuff. Teddy's new persona is a little bit crazy. Everybody exits the front car, except for the human prisoner who Teddy gives a gun with a single bullet before cutting that car loose and letting that car keep traveling forward while they fall behind. That one bullet is the one he picked up from the ground. He he gives the gun and the bullet to Phil, the technician whom is the only one that they've picked up who is not dead yet. And as they close the car and as they separate the train car from themselves, it looks like Phil knows his fate, which, you know, is pretty straightforward now because as Teddy is leaving, he says to Phil, this is the last mercy you'll see from me. Just like, geez, Teddy, I mean, does this guy, does this particular guy even need to die? Can you at least, like, throw him off the train? Maybe he'll live but severely wounded? Should Phil have tried to break a window with the gun and just jump out of it? We actually don't know what happens to, well, we assume we know what happened to Phil, but we don't, we don't know. You know, he could, what if Phil comes back six seasons from now, like, weathered and with, like, ninja stars he's like well i'm changed and i'm and you guys never saw me die and i'm back i, I don't and think i'm, I'm here for you teddy yeah <laughs> I, I held on to that bullet all these years oh my god that would actually be amazing you know i but james i i think phil's dead <laughs> he's probably dead so we kind of there's the subplot of the employees of the park, and it kind of revolved around Stubbs this time. Stubbs, who is the Charlie Brown of this season, and who nobody likes, and no one is impressed that his brother is Thor. No, everybody is so mad at him and blames him for all of this going wrong, when in fact he was up against an actual god in Dr. Robert Ford, and nobody, not no one, who had his job would have stood a chance. But Stubbs maintains a very positive attitude throughout this whole season. Like, he never really seems to let it get to him. Well, I mean, what's the alternative? Killing all the human beings around him who are being dicks to him? Well, I mean, you know, Lee is in a terrible mood. And and so is uh, Sylvester. But Stubbs is just like, alright, it's you know, still my job. Still a work day. You know, keep hanging there, baby. Hang in there, bit yeah. He ha- he goes back to his office at the end of every day and cries while looking at a poster of a cat hanging from a branch. Charlotte arrives at his location with a bound and gagged Peter Abernathy. They go together to a lab where a QA security team are dissecting some hosts. Charlotte tells them to secure Peter Abernathy without breaking him, and so they nail him to a table, which is a little, uh, a little... Bible referency. Yeah, some stigmata just occurred with the use of a nail gun. And while he's using a nail gun, let's nail down the timelines. Got him. What a great <laughs> what a great use of that phrase. So this is about a probably I'd say a week after or 2 weeks after. <laughs> this is after obviously after the the gala and then Charlotte Hale runs, and then Charlotte Hale goes and gets Peter Abernathy in the backdoor assault of the uh, of the stupid fight that happened where a bunch of people died where they didn't have to. And then she takes him back, takes out a thing, finally tells them that he she has Peter. Whoever is running Delos, if it's not the man in black, I, I don't know who she's actually talking to. And they finally send a a team specific for picking up Peter Abernathy. So, uh, I don't know. It all feels a little weird. A rescue team sent by Delos parachutes into the park. The captain, a swarthy Irish guy, immediately hates Stubbs and makes fun of him for his dumb name, Ashley. 
and basically tells him, stay out of my way. Yeah, that is Timothy V. Murphy playing a character named Coughlin, who has a better Scottish accent than I'd, I'd say than James Delos did. Although, I do love James Delos to death. I'm just saying, I think this guy has a better Scottish accent. Also, fun fact, this guy was in The Lone Ranger. A fantastic movie that everyone loves. In the control room... <laughs> In the control room, Charlotte triumphantly tells Coughlin that they have got Peter Abernathy ready to go, just as the map room turns on, which is cause for celebration, and then the train crashes into them. They turn the map on to see the train coming towards the Mesa. They're like, oh, what's that? And then moments later, they find out, oh, it's probably that train that just exploded right under us. As this all is happening, a technician is walking with Coughlin and trying to make him understand, like, the problem actually is that there is no problem. There's no hack that gets around this. We keep throwing things at this. We keep throwing things at Westworld. We keep throwing things at the Delos mainframe on this base, and it keeps fighting us actively, and we don't know why. In the Bernard storyline, he and Elsie are still walking through the park. They arrive at the entrance to the park where they see all the welcoming hosts are dead. Am I wrong, or did one of the dead hosts who they lingered on a little bit kind of look like Lee or something? Like, what were they going for there? I don't know. Like, it felt like the moment they lingered on Teddy in the Valley of the Great Beyond to show us that it was Teddy. But, yeah, right. Like, I, I I didn't see exactly who that was, but they did linger on that person for long enough where you're like, oh, God, should I, do I have to pause this? Yeah, I did. I went back and I was like, well, I guess he I mean, he looks a tiny bit like Lee. But other than that, I don't really I don't know him. Me either, dog. <laughs> they work their way to Elsie's office where she discovers that the QA team has been trying to roll back the host code to before the gala. But they're being thwarted by the cradle, which is the cloud storage of all the host's personalities. Bernard says that if they want to shut down the cradle, they have to access it in person. Obviously, they do. That's like it felt that when he, when he did say that, it felt like every action movie ever is like we got to go to the source. As they're walking in, he says a very nice. He says like the nicest thing I think he's ever said to Elsie, which was, "If anyone can write this ship by sheer force of will, it's you." And she actually like smiles in that moment. She's like, "Oh my god, you're you're a robot!" But that was that was a very nice thing you said. She gets on the computer, figures out the same thing that the technician was talking to Coughlin about in the in the last scene that we talked about, where the cradle is fighting back in a way that doesn't actually make sense. She says they have the weather back online, so Delos controls the weather confirmed. Yeah, Elsie isn't able to access the cradle's mainframe. Bernard suggests that they send him in directly by removing his control unit physically from his head and plugging it into the cradle. As that occurs, Elsie is like, you know, that's going to hurt a lot. I haven't turned off your pain functions. And he's very, like, meta in this moment. Like, it's all data. Pain is just code. I wanted to say, like, people who'd say pain is just weakness leaving the body. That's his version of, like, pain's just code. I forget there's some, like, muscle man or somebody who's like, pain is a choice, all right? Uh... To that muscle man, I say, no, it is not. My back hurts because I slept wrong. I do not choose this life. Also, Bernie goes through a flashback right before he gets put in and taken his brain taken out of his head forcefully, where he realizes that he's been in this room before. It's where he brought that red orb that he grabbed while under Ford's control from the same you know, distant laboratory where James Delos was being held. So he knows he's taken a consciousness and put it into the cradle. He just doesn't know whose consciousness he did that with. After being entered into the cradle, Bernard wakes up on the train to Sweetwater. It's very meta. A lot so of a very ins- inception too, right? Yeah. So the, the, the cloud storage in which the consciousness of all hosts resides is also identical to the park. And so now we can never say for sure that we're in the park or in the cradle. Yeah, it significantly makes the timeline trope used with this show more 
what's the word I want to use? Hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get shoulder checked, though. Did you notice that? He didn't what's get... That? Right when he got off the train, I was like, is he going to get shoulder checked? Is it that detailed? But he did not. No, maybe shoulder checks guy, you know, he's dead now, so his identity's erased from the, the cradle or something. Yeah, he didn't make the cut. Elsie, back in the physical world, feels the explosion of the train crashing into the headquarters. And she's like, what the fuck is that? Which, at that moment, it puts all of these timelines together. Teddy and Dolores are heading for the Mesa. Or at least they'll probably try to get in, you know, once they get off their train. And then and then through the hole that they just exploded? I don't know what the, what the logic was there, but that's fine. Bernard and Elsie yeah, and, are in the cradle. Dolores and Maeve crossed paths earlier on, so, I mean, that's happening at this point, too, I guess. Right, and then Charlotte Hale is also inside this place with the Coughlin team, whom they just turned the map back on, and Coughlin's gonna go try to get Peter Abernathy, who's stigmatized. So all of this stuff, you know, minus Bernard being inside the cradle, that stuff is happening in the ether, but the rest of it is all happening at the same time now. Inside the cradle, Bernard spies Dolores walking by, he sees Teddy, and then he sees a brown greyhound walk into the saloon, and he decides to follow it. You know who loved greyhounds, man? Do you, do you, do you remember who liked greyhounds? Yeah, so he enters the saloon where he finds Dr. Robert Ford playing what? the piano. Okay, but we, everyone, uh, so the internet, yeah, like, everybody, called, every, every, everybody knew that. We all knew. <laughs> we all knew it was going to be Ford, but still, when it went onto Ford's face and he said, hello, old friend, I was like, yes, Hopkins is back, obviously. We knew, we didn't know he'd be back, but he wasn't even at the premiere. Like, they hid him so well. This is, this was the twist of the season that many people called. But at the same time, Anthony Hopkins not being dead in your show is huge for your show. Also, it's like, damn, Anthony Hopkins. You, he is the man who will never retire. No, he will keep being characters who are amazing. I, this was one of the first times this season where the show ended and I was like, what? Keep, do the next 10 minutes. I want to see this conversation so, so badly. Because Elsie is going to be like, Bernard, we got to get you out. Well, because everything's exploding. And, and Dolores and Teddy are coming. And he'll be like, no, put me back inside. I got to talk to Ford more about if I'm Arnold or not. All right. It is at this point, we are going to get into tweets and theories and spoilers and stuff like that. So if you want to remain pure, get out now while you have a chance. Ford became the music. Ford is now the entirety of this symphony, and he knows all. If you don't want to be like him, then go like us on iTunes. Give us a really great review. Send us things that you thought about this episode or next episode to our Twitter, and we'll talk about them on next week's show. We also have a Patreon. We gained our first Patreon subscriber this week, and it was it was actually Clementine Pennyfather, best name. She came out of the show. And then, and then gave us $5 on Patreon, and, and we, we thank her deeply for it. So you can do that, too. But if you don't want to do any of those things, then you can just... We could just see you next week. We love you very much. Let's talk theories! So, we got a couple tweets this week. Lauren, at Very Lovely LJ, said, I like this theory that one of the hosts is actually someone important or important people. They are called hosts, after all. So, some of these people running around, like, you think that Teddy is just Teddy, but actually, he's uh, Steve Jobs reincarnated in the park. She's saying, what says you about the Peter Abernathy equals Mr. Dulles theory? He is as old as Dolores, isn't he? He is, but I'm not even sure Peter Abernathy has the encrypted file inside him anymore. It kind of looked like Bernard took that encrypted file out of his head, and Peter Abernathy is just like a weird shell that is stigmatized to a table at this very moment. So I don't think that James Delos equals Peter Abernathy theory is at the forefront of, of reality anymore, but we are still kind of up in the air with what is that big file that was inside Peter? 
And is it still there? And does Bernie have it? We got a lot of people hating on Shogun World, or just, you know, in general, but two people tweeted us about it. James at K3L Ton said, Is it just me, or did Shogun World make the last two episodes a hundred times worse than it would have been? That better be over now. First, Maeve's incredibly selective use of her new power. Second, it added nothing to anyone's story apart from delays. And three, the woman carried an actual heart around for like half an episode like it was no big deal. So, I'll take this one by one. Number one, Maeve's incredibly selective use of her newfound power. That is a little... So, okay. If you don't think that she is making the right call with Akane, then that will be annoying to you. But, at the same time, like we talked about earlier, Maeve and Dolores are on opposite sides of the morality spectrum. Dolores is making a lot of decisions and and, and is kind of laying her will upon people and changing them to to fit her plan, while Maeve wants the same things Dolores does, but will not drag anybody along with her who doesn't want to be free, or, or uh, the definition of free that Maeve has. So, to his first point where uh, Maeve is being selective with her powers, I mean, in this episode, he they, she was selective because Akane and Musashi asked her not to, and wanted those moments for themselves, and she allowed it, because... She is a merciful and giving god, while Dolores is a god who takes and a god who who wants. So, uh, which goes straight to his, his second point, which is it added nothing to anyone's story apart from delays. I think what he might be getting at there is that it added nothing to anyone else's story, like Hector's or... I think it added something to Lee's. I mean, he, at the end, has a bit more empathy Sylvester, not really. He's still grouchy. Felix is still is ride or die. He just proves that point over and over again. I'm not sure if that's addition. But I think it does add to Maeve a lot. I think Maeve's time in Shogun World has has showed her more so the kind of robot overlord that she hopes to be one day. Heather Robbins at Shake and Bake 760 also complaining about Shogun World says... Was anyone else seriously disappointed by the scene at Snow Lake? It sounded so mystical, but yet it looked like a dirty pond. Oh, well, I mean, it's a part of a world that is is currently being neglected because all of the robots who were taking care of said pond are now dead with Mount Fuji in the background. How big is this park? I just don't know. And and I think this this kind of goes back to James's third point, which is, he was annoyed that Akane was just holding Sakura's heart and walking around like it was no big deal. I think it was a pretty big deal to Akane. Like, it was a big enough deal where she wasn't going to leave the the heart that was then burning in front of her. But but it wasn't a big deal to really anyone else. It was all kind of to, to do what Akane wanted because Maeve allowed that moment. Because Maeve respects Akane's decision and respects other robots to do what, what they feel. You know, Heather, yeah, it might not have looked like a lot to you, okay, but it was important to Sakura, right? That's, yeah, right. It was important to the the dead robot that Felix and Sylvester could have just brought back, but may have decided. So, like, okay, all of Shogun World, right? Like, it, it's, it's kind of the same thing where in the first season, as you started to realize Ford was in charge of all of this, all of this was a decision Ford could make at any given moment. He could have changed these things he could have changed history to 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 what he wanted it to be but he chose his specific version of it because that's what he wanted shogun world is that but for mave mave could have changed all of that mave could have made all of that different but the way that it happened was the way that it had to happen to make mave the person that she is now post shogun world but here's this thing all of this happens and then she goes by herself again to go try to rescue her daughter. And then as her daughter has a new mother, like Maeve is shaken up about that and then runs away with her daughter. Like, So how much did Maeve learn about herself in Shogun World as opposed to how much she learned about 
the people and the robots around her and how she wants to treat them. Because it kind of feels like she learned a lot about the god she wanted to be and not a lot about the mother she wanted to be. So I have got a theory. I'm sure that it's very obvious and everyone has already thought of. Grace is totally not a real human. She's a host planted in the park before the chaos because Dr. Ford's playing the long con. The scene that she had with the other guy where they established that he was not a host it was never established that she was not a host. She's one of those hosts that doesn't know she is like Bernard used to be. Right. So you're saying that the man in black's first gut instinct that Ford created her as just a subtle, not subtle, uh, pretty in-your-face jab is is a possibility? Yeah. And I think that's why they had that disagreement about her memories. And it may even be why he left her behind. He's like, oh, this is so cute that I get to I get to talk to this host as if it were my daughter forgiving me, but actually this is just Robert Ford rat-fucking the memory of my family. Right, like, he feels better about being forgiven by his daughter and then, like, shakes his head and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is just Ford screwing with me. And how and how dare he? I personally, I want Emily to be Emily. I want that conversation to be a conversation that was had between a daughter and her father, where she truly forgives him for one piece of his life, but not the rest of it. And I want him within his redemption story that feels a little iffy at this moment because he ditched his daughter if she ends up being his real daughter. I want her to be a large part of it and the way that he he chooses to live with or without her at the end of this season will be pretty indicative of how he has changed or not changed. It's pretty clear that the man in black knows what's going on with Robert Ford because he speaks to her as if he's trying to speak directly to Robert Ford, which I guess you probably could do with any host in the park since he's in the cradle. And it stands to reason that, you know, Arnold is in the cradle too because Ford just looked at Bernard and was able to speak to Arnold at the end of season one. So Ford succeeded. If Dolores was at the beginning of this episode giving the fidelity test to Bernard to see if he was Arnold yet... And Ford eventually succeeded because, I mean, he like you just said, Ford kind of talked to Arnold at the end of season one, like two times as Bernie was about to shoot himself in the head. His voice changed and it kind of felt like Arnold was there. Ford I knows that he succeeded in bringing his partner back, his partner that had a good idea, but wasn't around long enough to make it come true. And perhaps bringing Arnold back inside Bernard in a real way, finally let Ford give up his mortal life and become the music he's always wanted to be. Which, by the way, dude, a month ago, Anthony Hopkins tweeted him playing that song he was playing at the end of the episode on piano, like practicing it for the actual shoot, and he hasn't tweeted since. He's a man of many talents. Plays the piano and knows how to leave a cliffhanger tweet. As he was playing the piano in that tweet, he's wearing, like, track pants. It's the best. Everyone should go see it. So I I never do this, but I did watch the preview for the next episode, and it really, it looks like it's the shit hits the fan episode, which is usually the ninth episode of Game of Thrones, but I guess could be the seventh of Westworld. Well, it kind of, it looks like they're setting up episodes seven through ten being epic episodes with a lot of money put into them we see in the next on teddy is in a guard's uniform did you see that with a gun yeah and i mean there's just a lot of like uh, the, the ominous classical music is playing and a lot of people walking towards the camera in a scary way it's also the episode where hale finds all the bernard clones so she'll finally know that bernard is is a robot and perhaps she'll find or walk into the cradle and be like, Elsie, get out of here and leave him here so we can start running him through the simulations that we want to run him through that we saw him on the beach in episode one. So I'm excited. I hope you guys will join us next week when we recap and review season two, episode seven, Le Ecorches. I can't, I can't do foreign words, you guys.
Only Japanese words you can do. Per- <laughs> oh, it, it, the the language you learned is the only one you can pronounce correctly. That's that's nuts. I can't pronounce English correctly. I, this looks like it's to be a Spanish word to me. Le orches, orches, le corches. I'm so jealous that you can roll your R's. Listen to this sound. This is when I try to roll my R's. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I can do that, or why some people can't. I, I think uh, in elementary school, we did like a, a little Spanish lesson. Maybe that's why I can. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> while, and while you were in that Spanish lesson, I was just like outside trying to swing my hardest, dude. Thanks for listening. If you just listened to the show, that means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on SoundCloud. Or you could leave a review for us on the Apple Podcast app, which helps other people to find the show. We are also on Patreon, the Westworld Podcast, if you want to support us in that way. For next week, send us your questions, comments, or crazy theories at WestworldRyan on Twitter, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com, and we will read them on the show. We always do. We always do. We o- we get like five a week, so it's a kind of the perfect amount to read all of them on the show. Hopefully, one day we'll get like you know like millions a week, just millions. But and what when this show is is watched by all one point five million people who watch Westworld still. Also, I will say, you know, other podcasts claim to be the unofficial companion piece to to the show Westworld. If that's true, we are the unofficial companion show to the companion shows of the TV show Westworld. We are the unofficial companion show to your heart. Aww. We love you guys and your heart. And if need be, I will cut your heart out of your body and bring it to where your house is and light it on fire. Because that's how much I love you guys. Yeah, and then other people are going to look down at your hometown and be like, it's just a dirty pond. Come on. Yeah, there was it was a koi pot. The koi were alive, so everything I think is fine. They were robot koi. I'm James. <laughs> what if one of those robot koi jumped up on Maeve's neck and she slapped it like Dolores slapped the fly? And I'm Ryan, <laughs> and this is the Westworld Podcast. <laughs>